0: podcast listeners thanks for joining a Wednesday edition of the we tackle life podcast Bruce Hooley with you and we have an interesting Browns mini camp to talk about and yes today I will tackle the topic that has dominated conversation in the Big Ten not the 12 team college football playoff but the legacy of Bo Schembechler and we'll also get into a faith portion of the podcast so I appreciate you joining us leave us a review on iTunes if you would I'd appreciate that send us an email uh we tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. Let's start with a shout out to our friends at AUIinfo.com. They are in business to help you stay in business. If you're a small business, two people to 50 people, AUI is a valuable service and it's a free service. Usually you get what you pay for. In AUI's case, you get way more than you pay for because you don't pay them, but they get paid. They're not in this pro bono. They line you up with great benefits for your employees. They help you with your HR situations and because there are many businesses that want to do business with you they pay AUI for putting you in front of them as an option and you selecting them there's no pressure they don't have like preferred carriers that they say oh if you pick this one we get paid this much and if you they don't care who you pick they get paid the same they're very happy to give you the best deals and think of the time you'll save you don't have to research dental benefits vision benefits health benefits life insurance Whatever you want to bring to the table for your employees in a benefits package, AUI can put it together, give it to you, you evaluate it, thumbs up, thumbs down, and you don't pay them. AUIinfo.com. You can ask all your questions on chat. They will answer them. Quick, simple, easy, efficient. AUIinfo.com. All right, let's get to the actual sports first. Browns mini camp. I'm not even going to attempt to do Ohio State football recruiting. There are many sites that do Ohio State football recruiting. I don't care enough about Ohio State football recruiting to try to keep up. They're going to recruit well. Bama's going to recruit well. Clemson's going to recruit well. One of those teams will win the national championship. End of story. As for the Cleveland Browns, 2021's a huge year. They showed last year that they are more than a team with potential. Now they're in minicamp. And with this season in front of us, no COVID, No excuses. OBJ back. Baker Mayfield with three years under his belt. Three? 18, 19, 20. Yeah, three years under his belt. They should be a legit contender in the AFC. Now, obviously, Kansas City Chiefs are the class of the AFC. And I think the Tennessee Titans got a ton better with the addition of Julio Jones. But the Browns have added Jadavion Clowney to go with Miles Garrett. I think the Browns drafted pretty well. And... This is an interesting year because they may, we don't know, but there's talk that they are thinking of extending Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward. Now, they've picked up the option, the fifth-year option, on both Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield, which, you know, those guys are two years left on their deals because they were first-round picks, so they get five-year deals, four-year deals and an option year. Nick Chubb was a second-round pick. So Nick Chubb is entering the last year of his contract. And because Nick Chubb is a stud, and because Nick Chubb was a few yards away from winning the NFL rushing title, and last year is the first time he's been injured, and he still gained 1,000 last year? I think he did. Yes, he did gain 1,000 yards last year. Uh, And he almost had 1,000 his first year when they didn't play him until halfway through the season. So Nick Chubb is a certifiable stud. Would you give Nick Chubb a big contract, he said today? I would love to play in Cleveland. I have a policy. I said it when Ezekiel Elliott got his Monsters contract that the Dallas Cowboys would regret it because I would never draft a running back in the first round, which the Browns didn't with Nick Chubb, and I would never give a running back a second contract. All right, so now it's put-up-or-shut-up time. Am I serious? Would I let Nick Chubb walk after one more year? Can't say yes. Yes. But I can't say no. I wouldn't give Nick Chubb a big deal right now. I want to see Nick Chubb play a fourth season. I want to see if he can stay healthy. I want to see how the rest of my roster looks. Kareem Hunt might be more affordable than Nick Chubb. Is Nick Chubb a guy who, let's say things go bad middle of the season? Could you trade Nick Chubb and get a ton for him? Maybe. I know you don't want to think that way because you think, no, we're going to have a great team. But maybe they're beset by injuries, and maybe Baker Mayfield goes down, and who knows? I would not commit. I know it costs you more in the long run if you commit late. Nick Chubb has a great year. He gains 1,500 yards. you got to pay him through the nose, or you got to really swallow hard and let him walk. I get it. But they have three guys who are, you know, viably in line for pretty significant contracts. Baker Mayfield has him over a barrel because, while I don't think Baker Mayfield is a top, eh, I don't know, off the top of my head, is Baker Mayfield an elite quarterback? Whenever you say top five, it's like, oh, sure he is. I'm not going to give a number. Is Baker Mayfield an elite quarterback? I guess I better define elite. An elite quarterback is one who, by himself, can win you a playoff game. Not a game, a playoff game. And I give you Baker Mayfield won a Pittsburgh Steeler playoff game last year, but was that really Baker Mayfield, or was that the Steelers turning it over and giving the Browns a big early lead? In the Chiefs game, with Patrick Mahomes out, Baker Mayfield needed a drive, and he couldn't produce it. I know Rashard Higgins fumbled out of the back of the end zone. I haven't forgotten. I'm just saying... I do not have 100% faith that Baker Mayfield is an elite quarterback. So I wouldn't pay him before I have to pay him. I certainly wouldn't pay him anytime this year. So I'd wait on Baker Mayfield, and I'd wait on Nick Chubb. And on Denzel Ward, I'd wait on him as well. And The reason I would wait on Denzel Ward is because Denzel Ward misses a lot of games. I said it when they drafted him. I wanted Bradley Chubb instead of Denzel Ward because generally pass rushers have a longer shelf life than cornerbacks. Denzel Ward's really good, not disputing that. But he's played 12 games, 12 games, well, 13 games, 12 starts, 12 games and 12 games the last three years. You want to pay a guy who's going to miss a fourth of your season every year? My concern for Denzel Ward was well founded. Then, it's well founded now. They've drafted a lot of guys in the secondary. Let's see how greedy Williams is. Let's see how some of these guys are. That they see how Greg uh, Newsom is before you pay Denzel Ward. Now, I don't think his. I think Denzel Ward's a productive, a really good, really productive NFL player for three or four more years. It would make me more nervous. Well, boy, that's a hard question. Would it make me more? If I could only give money to one of them, Nick Chubb or Denzel Ward, because they're going to pay Baker if Baker stays healthy and plays reasonably well. Their quarterback history pretty much compels them to do that. Nick Chubb or Denzel Ward? Nick Chubb's more durable. Nick Chubb's more durable. Do you need Nick Chubb to win games, or do you need Denzel Ward more to win games? You get torched on a corner, it's a touchdown. But Nick Chubb can score a touchdown on any play. I'd have to ponder that one. Good topic for a future podcast. With that, let me remind you the official attorney firm of the Bruce Hooley Radio Show, of the Bruce Hooley We Tackle Life podcast, and of Bruce Hooley are my friends at Willis Spangler Starling. They are amazing. They understand all the angst, worry, concern that comes with a legal action. Whether you're pressing it, you want to win because you're investing time, effort, emotion, or heaven forbid, you're on the receiving end of a legal action. They understand how significant that is in your life, and they're not going to, you know, look at it like, eh, just another lawsuit to us. No, they get it. They understand it. I love their personal touch. They explain things really clearly, really concisely. They're very open, very honest. Your integrity, your character, won't be compromised in the least bit by going with Willis Spangler Starling. If you think you're getting hosed at work on an employment, uh, on employment action you have a social security disability issue, you have a personal injury case, wills and estate planning, make sure you get that taken care of. Willis Spangler Starling can check every box. They do a phenomenal job. They're online at willisattorneys.com, W-I-L-L-I-S, willisattorneys.com. And they're on Twitter at Spangler Willis. Truman Boulevard in Hilliard is where they are located. All right, now that we got the Browns out of the way, let's get to the really ugly stuff. Bo Schembeckler is a unique case in that he is somewhat revered. I'm not going to say beloved, but he is somewhat revered by Ohio State fans because he was an Ohio State assistant coach, because he was Woody's assistant coach, and because you can't have a great rivalry unless you have a successful team on the opposite sideline. In the Bo Woody era... And the subsequent 10-plus years that Bo coached against Ohio State were the heyday of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. It just was. I know that Ohio State fans like dominating Michigan ever since Bo retired, but that was really not a rivalry like it was with Bo and Woody or Bo and Earl. So Ohio State fans are somewhat invested in this. And Ohio State fans, to whatever extent they've felt embarrassment or shame or regret over the Richard Strauss case, the doctor who molested a bunch of wrestlers and swimmers and track athletes and on and on and on, now Michigan finds itself in that exact same situation. They have a team doctor, had a team doctor, who was the football team doctor, and the adopted son of Bo Schembechler, named one of, the, one of his adopted sons, Bo married a woman named Millie. And Millie had three sons from a previous marriage. I believe it was three. One of them was named Matt. Matt was the youngest. Bo adopted Matt. Matt Schembeckler alleges that he told Bo that this Michigan doctor, his name is Anderson, molested Matt Schembeckler during a Pee-Wee football physical examination when Matt Schenblecker was 10 years old. Matt Schenblecker says he told Bo, Bo did nothing about it, and Bo, in fact, um, pushed him or punched him or something like that for telling him, for saying that. Two other Michigan players, maybe more, have come forward. They've told a similar tale. You know the ugly tale, right? Was fondled him, did, you know, I don't need to go into details. It's ugly stuff. These former players joining in Matt, joining with Matt Schembeckler say, yes, we told Bo Schembeckler he did nothing about it. One player, a former player, says he told Bo in 1982 or 83 that he was molested by this doctor, and Bo said to him, go tell Don Canham, the athletic director, about it. So, here we have a situation that is not tremendously unlike the Joe Paterno situation at Penn State, the um, Larry Nasser situation at Michigan State, and, um, you know, this, the Ohio State situation, and now at Michigan. So those are the four, like, those are the four headline programs in the Big Ten, and all this was going on. Um, I'm not sure what that says, except there are a lot of really disturbed people out there. A lot of really sick people who have gained the trust of athletes and who have apparently betrayed that trust. All right. So let me start with the, let me start with the obvious, um, uh, full disclosure. I am friends. I mean, I could call him and we'd have a nice long conversation, I have spent some time with Bo's biological son, Glenn, which is you know he goes by Shemi. Shemi lives in Central Ohio. Uh, I know Shemi. I know his lovely wife, their their son. He's not little anymore, but I knew him when he was little. And uh, Shemi and I at one time talked a lot. We don't talk a lot now, but it's not because we've had a falling out. We're we're friendly. I hurt for Shemi. Very much. Because I can tell you, Shemmy reveres his father very much. And this has to be extremely difficult for Shemi to hear these things said about his father. And his father is not here to defend himself. Bo has been dead for 15 years. You may remember he famously died on the eve of the 2006 Ohio State-Michigan game when Ohio State was number one and Michigan was number two, 42-39 Ohio Stadium. So, what I'm going to say about my opinion on Bo is not at all related to my friendship with Shemi. I just wanted to disclose that because I feel like you should know it. I do not have perfect clarity on these kinds of things and how they should be handled because what I do have perfect clarity on is how things were in an era that was vastly different from today. okay, I was covering Ohio State for the Plan Dealer during the Richard Strauss era. Now, I didn't cover wrestling like I covered football, like I covered basketball. Um, but I know what the mindset of that era was. I can tell you on the Joe Paterno-Jerry Sandusky story from Penn State that for many years, and I went to 18 Big Ten kickoff luncheons in Chicago, where they bring all the coaches in, and, all, and two players from every school. Every year, or virtually every year, for a very long time, one very common feature story done by virtually everyone, not only in Pennsylvania, but in the Big Ten, was the, wow, isn't Jerry Sandusky a fantastic guy, that he's doing all these things for these boys who don't have fathers, okay? So I'm just saying a lot of people missed that story. And my father was of the era of, of Bo Schembechler and of Joe Paterno. And I can tell you that if someone had said to my father the thing, if i had told my father that happened what happened to me like had what these players allege had that happened to me which it didn't but if if it did and i told my dad i i think my dad would have probably gone and you know beat the crap out of a guy but it's entirely possible that if i'd have been a grown man at the time like a college student he would have said what are you going to do about it he would have put the onus on me and he would have expected me to handle my business and what i'm telling you is without making a value judgment about who's right or who's wrong you do a disservice to the legacy of the legacy of people and it is unfair in my view to judge men of yesterday by the standards of today no one would look the other way on abuse by a team doctor of an athlete today but i can see where had athletic administrators coaches at ohio state been told of richard strauss's situation by guys who were wrestlers and i know those wrestlers i know those guys who they're excuse my french badasses like I, do, I wouldn't want to mess with any of those guys. Those guys are tough guys, but they're caught in a very difficult – I'm not blaming them. They're caught in a very difficult vortex of here's a doctor who has the apparent respect of a powerful coaching staff, be it Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan – And I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell them something that is embarrassing for me as an athlete to admit to. And I don't know if they're going to believe me. And I don't know if they believe me, if they're going to think less of me. Because I can flat tell you, this is not anything other than exactly how it was. In the 1990s, in the 1980s, if you were a male athlete and that kind of abuse happened to you, You could not have reported that without it being taken as, unfair though it may have been, unfair though it would have been, it would have been taken as an indictment of you. Because nowadays we have empathy for people who are violated in that way. Back in that era, crude jokes would have been made. Insinuations that you must, there must be something wrong with you if that happened to you. You would have been blamed for being a victim. I'm just telling you that's absolutely how it would have been. I also believe there's a part of this that guys of the generation of Bo Schembechler and Joe Paterno. I don't think they had a full awareness when things were said to them that. Look, are you going to go through chapter and verse, if you're abused by a doctor, of exactly what they did to you? Or are you going to try to relay the spirit of what happened to you, the, a, a general picture of what happened to you, without becoming extremely graphic? I think it is entirely possible that the, the people, if they came forward and if they reported it to the coaches— and I have to say if because it's only fair to Bo Schembeck or to say if because he's not here to answer these charges. It is fair, I think, to allow for the possibility that when these things were reported to Bo or to Joe or to whoever the Ohio State guys reported it to, it was not said with great graphic detail. It was spoken of in generalities. And when that happens, if that happened, you have a an allowance, a possibility for a disconnect between what you're trying to say and what their understanding is of what you're trying to say. I can see how these wires got crossed, things fell through the cracks. Knowing what things were like in the 80s and 90s, I can understand how it happened. And evil men preyed on innocent young kids, and took advantage of them, and will be held accountable for that in the afterlife. But I do not feel any level of comfort erasing the entire legacy of Joe Paterno or of Bo Schembechler, nor would you as an Ohio State fan feel comfortable erasing the entire legacy of Woody Hayes. Let's just be real, right? There are plenty of things on in the aftermath of Tattoo Gate. nothing with any kind of abuse, but people still fight tooth and nail for Jim Trestle. And I understand that. But the iconic coach who wins a lot of games is somebody who you can't, you can't guard the legacy of Jim Trestle and not have an understanding of the leg- of why Michigan's players, some of them, many of them, why Penn State's players struggle to accept the, in, the vilification and the erasure of Joe Paterno and Bo Schembechler. You just have to understand that on a cognitive level. And I'm not saying those guys—I I think it's really dumb— that they want to scrub the University of Michigan of every (laughs) recollection of Bo Schembeckler. You don't know. No one there knows what he did or did not do. No one. The mind of a victim is not flawless, okay? Matt Schembeckler had a very strained relationship with his adoptive father. In fact, sued his adoptive father one time. So you have to factor that in as well. I'm not calling anyone a liar. I believe that what they say, they think happened, and it may in fact have happened. But I think to completely vaporize Bo Schembeckler from the University of Michigan is silly and not productive and not authentic, just as I feel it is stupid to eradicate statues of people who contributed to our country's history in some good ways and some bad ways. You might as well get to the faith portion of the podcast right now, okay? Men are flawed. One perfect man ever, Jesus Christ. Thankfully, because none of us, if held up to the standard that matters for our destiny, for our eternal destiny, can pass that test, okay? And so, all men are flawed, all men are sinful, all men make mistakes, and I'm I'm very thankful, extremely thankful, that I never had to face this kind of... Adversity in my life, like these men who were abused at Ohio State, these boys at Penn State, these apparently these men at Michigan and these young ladies at Michigan State. That's horrific. Nobody should ever have to go through that. It's 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 uh, it's stomach turning to think of that. But I think that um, you know, the devil is evil, and the devil twists um, a healer a doctor, into a predator, and um, I, I, I think I've rambled on this topic enough. I just don't feel like it's entirely fair to assume that a man who can't answer for himself, Bo um, be erased. Thankfully, though, our sins can be erased, and I heard one time Um, a commentator who I like a lot, Matt Walsh, Daily Wire. Matt's Catholic, so probably not, definitely not, aligned on all things theology. But Matt made a comment one time that I um, chuckled when I heard, and he was discussing someone in the news who had done something horrible, And I think somebody made a comment that that person had uh, access to forgiveness through Christ's sacrifice at the cross. And Matt made a comment that he does not want to spend eternity with a bunch of rapists and murderers. And I said, well, (laughs) two things. You're going to if you're saved. And B, I do want to spend eternity eternity with those guys. Not because that's my preferred companionship, but because I know Jesus died for everyone and there's forgiveness for people, even who do the most heinous things. And so if I'm going to say, I don't want to spend eternity where they are, they might be where I want to be. And if I say, I don't want to be there, not that you really have any control over that. If you're saved, you're going to be saved. And I just thought it was like silly for a person who purports to be saved to insinuate that there would be no murderers or rapists in heaven. It's a hard concept for some people, maybe a hard concept for you. Cognitively, I understand that. But the reality of it is, you don't want it any other way. Because if you want the line to be rape and murder, how do you know the line's not inside the boundaries you've crossed? or I've crossed. I think it's best we have a Savior whose whose sacrifice covers all of our sin, correct? And in that realm, I was thinking about, as I read a story today in the dispatch about Bill Gates, Mr. Microsoft, right? And apparently Bill Gates owns, like, some tremendous amount of land in Madison County. Like, 10,000 and some acres, like some mammoth expanse of land. And He's never been here. I'm sure he's never been here. And I found out today Bill Gates, who's worth like what is it, like hundreds of billions of dollars, um Bill Gates is like the largest private landowner in the United States. And they were talking about him building some big wind and solar farm in Madison County. It'll be a bunch of dead birds everywhere. Okay, fine. But I thought about Bill Gates' wealth, and I thought about Warren Buffett's wealth, and I thought about Jeff Bezos' wealth. I saw a story today, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife's given like $8 billion to charity. Probably all of it to pro-abortion causes. At any rate, um, when I think of that kind of wealth, I think, is any of that money being spent to do anything good for the kingdom of God? And I got to watch myself when I think those things, because as Chris Bielman has explained to me before, it is not my race. I'm not the judge of their stewardship and how they're using it. But we, you know, I would look at that and I'd be like, man, that'd be awesome to have that kind of money. Like, you know, we could, you could do so many good things and you could have so many great things and have great, great vacations and this, that, and the other private jets and la la la. But wealth is really just a tool. We we esteem it because it's a tool that can get us many, many other things. But if you had everything you ever asked for, for the rest of your life, every single day, of the rest of your life, would that ever get old? Would you ever cease to be, oh, another private jet? Oh, another private island? Oh, another vacation? No, great golf course today. Well, how about the one tomorrow? I mean, it might get Routine, right? All the cool experiences, all the lavish purchases, all the amazing experiences, it just might melt together. And then I wondered, is that how God looks at us when we don't stay extremely excited about what? Kind of forgiveness we've experienced through his son at the cross. I mean, really, think about it. Would you rather have a private island in Kauai or would you rather have eternity in heaven and complete forgiveness and absolution for every sin you've ever committed, thought about committing? I mean, up against that, I'm taking the salvation. I know the private island in Kauai would be cool, but I'm taking the salvation. And I wonder when God thinks about us just being like, yeah, I'm saved. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, What's for dinner? I wonder if he thinks about us like I was thinking about Bill Gates. Like, dude, why are you hoarding all that money? Why don't you do something with it? What if God is saying, hey, Bruce, yo, why are you hoarding my forgiveness? Why aren't you telling people about it? Why aren't you taking the riches I've given you? using them to grow my kingdom, my influence. Does God ever wonder, what did you do today? What did you do for me today? Like, I got you set up for eternity, dude. Like, what are you doing for me today? What did you do for me this week? What did you do for me this month? What did you do for me this year? Should we be doing more with what he's blessed us with? He's given us, he says, Everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. At another point in the Bible, he says it's pressed down, shaken together, filled to overflowing. Think of a cereal box. You open up a cereal box, right? And you look inside. Oh, I got a full box of frosted flakes here. Up, Look inside. Eh, it's about three quarters full. Why? Because in shipping, they may not have filled the thing all the way to the top when they boxed it up, but in shipping... It was jostled around, shaken up, pressed down, shaken together, and it's not filled to overflowing when you open that box up. Our blessings are filled to overflowing because we have forgiveness, restoration, inspiration, conviction, direction, comfort, contentment. We got all that. We are as rich in our relationship with God as Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates are in cash, and assets, and land, and everything else. So let's not hoard it. Let's do something with it. Let's make it pay off, and let's never lose the excitement at the miracle of being able to know with 100% certainty that we are forgiven no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter what we think. With that, have a great Wednesday. Talk to you Friday on the We Tackle Life podcast.